welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to Series 12, Episode 14, entitled The Promise of the Holy Spirit. And we'll be reading from the second half of John chapter 14, which is where we are in the story. And we're in the middle of the story of the Last Supper, which has been the narrative we've been looking at in the last few episodes. But let's just zoom out a little bit from there and see the wider context again. Every episode, I'm always putting the context clearly, especially in these last events of the last week of Jesus's life. Many of you will know in series 11, we started this last week of Jesus's life when he came into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry on the Sunday, which we now call Palm Sunday. And everything followed from there. It was a very dramatic entry, which set the tone for the whole week because Jesus was preparing for a major showdown and conflict with the religious authorities who'd been plotting against him for some time with the intention of getting rid of him. We've now come to Thursday evening, the events of the Last Supper. But in between, there's been a major confrontation in the temple on the Monday when Jesus challenged the traders, the money changers, and those who were buying and selling animals for animal sacrifice because they were making a huge profit in that monopoly situation and all that money was going to the priestly families and the religious rulers. And then on Tuesday, there was a very long day of discussion in the temple compound, arguments and debates between Jesus and the religious authorities, which led eventually to Jesus leaving the city and going to the Mount of Olives where he spoke extensively to his disciples about the future, warning them that Israel was going to be judged for her rejection of the Messiah within a generation and telling them more about his second coming, his return in glory at an unknown future date. So that teaching was something we looked at closely at the beginning of series 12 and it was taken from Matthew chapters 24 and 25. Then we move forward to the Wednesday where almost certainly on that day there was a meal in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper where Mary, one of Jesus's disciples based in Bethany, anointed his feet with oil as a symbolic gesture in preparation for his burial. The drama really increases when Judas Iscariot on that very moment, on that Wednesday, decides that he's going to betray Jesus and he goes to the religious authorities offering to lead them to Jesus at some future time, very shortly, when he's out of the public eye in some quiet private place so they can arrest him without causing a public disturbance and bring him to trial. They offer him money, which was very tempting to Judas because he had an issue with money. He stole money from the common purse that Jesus' disciples used, which he administered, and he was tempted by the offer of money. So he rejoined the group for the events that take place on Thursday evening. That's what we're looking at now. We call this the Last Supper, and this is the occasion when Jesus gathered with the Twelve, no one else there apart from Jesus and the Twelve, in an upper room in Jerusalem and celebrated a Passover meal with them, which very quickly became filled with tremendous meaning and poignancy and high feeling because many things were going to be happening very soon. So in the Last Supper, as we've told the story, 
we have the opening events and, and Jesus gathering the disciples together and being the host. Then we had a look at an amazing thing that Jesus did shortly after that at the beginning of the meal, which was to wash the feet of the disciples, which is the activity of a servant, not of a teacher or ruler or leader. Then he established what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion or Eucharist. He formalized an aspect of this meal using bread and wine as symbols of his death in order to help the church in the future to remember the significance of his death and to remember that through his death he established a new covenant as we looked at when we looked at Luke's account. Then we went on to look at some teaching about servant leadership and we looked at the moment when Judas left quite suddenly from the upper room, went out into the darkness of the night in Jerusalem, walked across the streets to meet his contacts amongst the high priests and the religious leaders because he now had enough information to direct them to Jesus so that he could be arrested that evening. This was a very turbulent time emotionally in the meal because Judas had left. It was mysterious to know where he was going. The disciples weren't entirely clear whether he was betraying them or going to do some other errand. Jesus had said some dark things about Judas and it was troubling to the disciples. They knew things weren't right with Judas Iscariot, but they didn't really know exactly what had happened. They had no idea that he was now actually collaborating with the religious leaders. But at that particular point, Jesus had also pointed out that there's a spiritual battle going on concerning the loyalty of the rest of the disciples, the 11. Would they stick with Jesus through his death and his resurrection? And he said that powers of darkness were arrayed against them, seeking to get rid of their discipleship and neutralize them and intimidate them. So it's a tricky time. And here we are in the middle of the the Last Supper with this very tense atmosphere. And then in the last episode, we looked at the beginning of John chapter 14. And we noted that John adds a lot of teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples, which is not referred to in the other Gospels. It's a wonderful addition to help us understand the things that went on behind closed doors in this last opportunity that Jesus had to instruct and equip his disciples and he said in John 14 at the beginning as we saw last time do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me so he's trying to bolster their faith and he speaks to them about the way of salvation I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me John 14 verse 6 we looked at that last time he speaks a lot in that passage we looked at in the last episode about Jesus revealing God the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he talks to them a lot about God the Father. And that's an important teaching in the last passage that we looked at in the last episode. Now, interestingly enough, he immediately goes on to talk to them about the Holy Spirit. And one of the themes of what we're going to discuss today is the nature of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'll be concluding this episode with a few reflections on that from Jesus's teaching here. We already know in the Gospels long before this moment that Jesus comes as the Son of God. God is in heaven. God is 
our Father spiritually. We know the Holy Spirit is operating through Jesus and we know that he is a person. He is God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. We know that God is three persons, but one God. We know these things already, but they're going to come together in much sharper focus as we look at these particular passages. And here, Jesus is helping his disciples very strategically because as they're beginning to anticipate the fact that he's not going to be with them, there is a, an obvious anxiety. They spend all their ministry with him. The only time they've been separated is the brief moments when they've gone off on missionary trips that he's sent them on, knowing that they're going to come back and see him within a few days or weeks. They've been together for at least three years and they've seen the incredible power and authority of Jesus and the thought that somehow or other he's going to go away from them. He's going to die. He's going to go to heaven, which is this idea which Jesus has introduced to them. That is a worrying idea for them. They're anxious. They're troubled. And so Jesus now brings a very crucial teaching to them, explaining to them much more fully than ever before that when he goes, the Holy Spirit will come in his place. Let's read the first half of this passage, John 14, verses 15 to 26. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realise that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Well, this is an intricate passage with lots of themes mixed together. And Jesus speaks in a very organic language about the relationship between the disciples and God and between the persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're just going to pick out some of the highlights and some of the key points. And we're going to start at the beginning, verses 
15 and 16. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Now, this is the central thing that Jesus is teaching them here. He's going to ask God the Father to send them the Holy Spirit, who is described here by two particular names, the Advocate and the Spirit of Truth. But before we get to those names and their significance, we need to just think more generally about what is being expressed here. Very simply put, Jesus will leave the disciples. We know, because we know the rest of the story, that after his death, he's raised again on the third day, dies on the Friday, he's raised again on the Sunday morning. We know from the accounts of the Gospels and the Book of Acts that Jesus appeared in a resurrection body on a number of occasions over a period of about six weeks. And then we know that he ascended into glory permanently. And we know that after then, the Holy Spirit was uh, given. And we're going to now just read a couple of passages and verses in the beginning of Acts, which describe this. First of all, Acts 1 verse 8 is the final statement that Jesus made to his disciples before he ascended this is after his resurrection, after those 40 days, right at the end of those 40 days. In Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. That's a description of the ascension, the return to glory permanently. The very last thing Jesus did was to promise them again, as he had done in the upper room, the Holy Spirit is coming. And when we turn over to Acts 2, verses 1 to 4, we see that the disciples are gathered in Jerusalem, they've stayed in Jerusalem, and they have a wide number of other followers of Jesus with the twelve. Judas Iscariot having been replaced by a disciple called Matthias. And in the first four verses, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the famous description of the beginning of the church when the Holy Spirit came in miraculous supernatural power and filled every one of the apostles and the other gathered disciples with tremendous power and conviction that really launched the early church. Now, Peter preached on that day. Thousands of people responded to his message. And one thing he said is interesting concerning our passage. Acts 2 verse 33. 
exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So once Jesus had been exalted into heaven, he and the Father had a dialogue, an agreement that between them they would pour out the Holy Spirit. They would send the Spirit in power, miraculous power, on the disciples. This is exactly what Jesus is referring to in verse 16 of John 14. And I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate. Now from verse 17 we see the end Jesus says talking of the Holy Spirit for he lives with you but will be in you. So they knew the presence of the Holy Spirit and from time to time they had known his power enable them as disciples to do miracles. We see this on their missionary journeys and we see that they're performing miracles in the name of Jesus. But there's some greater reality being promised. He will be in you. That's like a permanent indwelling in power. And the other thing we need to say about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is described always here in the personal terms. It's he, not it. So the amazing reality that the Holy Spirit is a person, like you and I are people, like Jesus is a person, like the Father is a personal God. That reality is very clear in this passage and, of course, in many other places. But it's worth just reflecting on this reality because many people easily think that the Holy Spirit is some kind of a force of God, some kind of an impersonal force, perhaps like electricity. Now, electricity is unseen like the Holy Spirit. Electricity is powerful like the Holy Spirit, but electricity is impersonal. It's a force. It doesn't have a will of its own, so to speak. It's part of the physical laws of this world. It doesn't distinguish between good and evil. It doesn't have any personal relationships. It is just a powerful force in the physical world, which we have to harness and use for good. Now, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God himself. And the astonishing reality of Christianity is that the person of the Holy Spirit comes and lives within the Christian in a unique way when we are born again and fills us with power to live the Christian life. And we're in a personal relationship with the living God through the Holy Spirit's personal presence within us. We can talk to him. He can communicate to us in a personal way. So we can learn from this passage something about the Holy Spirit as a person. And some functions of the Holy Spirit are indicated. He's described as the advocate and the spirit of truth in those early verses, verses 16 and 17. Spirit of truth is interesting because later on we see the Holy Spirit revealing the truth. We'll come to that in just a moment. This word advocate is a very interesting word, hard to translate from the Greek, sometimes translated comforter or helper. The Greek word has three essential meanings, all of which describe 
the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The first is a helper. The Holy Spirit comes and he lives within us and he helps us to live the Christian life. Isn't that wonderful? The second is an encourager. Someone who comforts or encourages us on the journey. And the third meaning is an advocate or a mediator. Someone who is speaking on our behalf to the living God, the Father. This is a word with very rich meaning. We can only touch on it very, very briefly in this context. But it's interesting that Jesus, in explaining the work of the Holy Spirit, speaks in this terminology, the advocate or the helper, the encourager and the mediator. And I want to encourage you to think of the Holy Spirit in very, very personal terms. If you are a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is living within you. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to empower you. He wants to guide you and help you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to speak on your behalf to our Heavenly Father. Verse 26 is also very significant. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom God the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. To the Apostles is given a unique authority at this point. They are going to receive revelation from the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth that we mentioned earlier on, who's going to teach them all things. In other words, everything they need to know in order to conduct their ministry for the future. And also remind them of everything that Jesus has said. So their memory, which is then subsequently going to be translated into writing the Gospels, is going to be stimulated and protected and made accurate by the supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit in their lives uniquely. Now, that same reality doesn't apply to you and me or other believers in other generations. This is a reality that is specific to the apostles and is a foundational reality that guarantees the authority and truthfulness of the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is supervising the process of the remembrance of things that Jesus said and did which is recorded in the gospels. I find this very thrilling and very exciting. There's a supernatural foundation to these books. The writers gave a lot of effort to collect eyewitness to remember things the best they could but the Holy Spirit helped them along the way in a supernatural manner, which is why so many people find these books absolutely electrifying and exciting to read, because in a strange sort of way, God has inspired them in a direct way. Let's read the concluding verses, verse 27 to verse 31. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, 
for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Now in these final verses, Jesus offers and promises peace. I think that's wonderful. An inner peace and security he's going to give to the disciples that will help them deal with the traumatic events that are about to unfold. This is a peace that people who do not have Christ cannot experience. A confidence in God, whatever is going on in life, we can have that peace as well. He says he'll return to his disciples briefly after his death. And he says he's going to not be able to say much more to them, verse 30, because the time is coming where the prince of this world is going to come. The prince of this world is a title for Satan, which Jesus has already used in John 12, verse 31. Satan is on the move. The powers of darkness are on the move. They're gathering their forces, spiritual forces of evil. But the human agents are getting in place at this very minute as Jesus speaks. Judas Iscariot is on the way to or maybe has arrived at the religious leader's place of contact. He's either started or just about to start giving them the crucial information that will lead them to be able to arrest Jesus very shortly when he moves to the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas Iscariot is aligning himself with the religious opposition. The religious opposition, the Sanhedrin, are already no doubt in touch with the Roman governor who's in residence in the city and who controls the military forces and who makes legal decisions and deals with issues amongst the Jewish community. The links are all together. The prince of this world is coming. He's gathering his human agents, people willing to work with him in order to move forward to try and eliminate Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's time with his disciples is literally coming to an end very, very shortly. But Jesus is leaving them with tremendous promises. Promises of his return from death, promises of salvation being assured, promises of a place in heaven being assured. We saw that in the last episode. And now here in this episode, an overwhelmingly powerful promise that he and the Father are going to send the Holy Spirit to be with them and to live with them permanently, to empower them, to guide them, to lead them, to comfort them, to encourage them, to be their mediator and advocate. What an incredible thing to say to the disciples at this critical moment. Let me give you some concluding reflections as we bring this episode to an end. 
There's a lot of wonderful truth in John chapter 14 about God as Trinity. Three in one, one in three. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are clearly described in this episode and in the last episode. And when we talk about the three persons of God, we're essentially saying three things. First of all, we're saying God is three persons. Both the Father, the Son and the Spirit are personal beings. And we've emphasised the personality and personhood of the Holy Spirit in this talk very clearly by pointing out that the personal pronoun he is used. It's he, not it. He is a person. God is three persons. We must affirm that. And each person is fully God. Jesus is fully divine, not partly divine, not a flawed human who's semi-divine, not just a prophet. He is in his eternal nature, utterly divine. And his divinity and his humanity came together through his birth. And then the Holy Spirit is fully divine. He's fully God, not just a force, not just a representative, not just an agent, not just an ambassador. He is God himself in the earth today. Now, Jesus is here preparing his disciples very carefully for a very different future. He's also preparing them for their responsibility in transmitting the truth to a much wider group of people who will become the church. The truth about Jesus, the past, they'll be able through the Holy Spirit to remember accurately the things that Jesus said and did. And also the truth about how to build the church and on what principles to build it. They're going to be given phenomenal insight and wisdom and memory and power to give us the books of the New Testament, which were written either by the apostles or by the delegated representatives to give us those books and then also to lead the church so this is a wonderful passage to illustrate the vital and significant work of the holy spirit right at the heart of the church from the very beginning thanks for listening and i look forward to us continuing in john chapter 15 with this great teaching that jesus gives to his disciples just before he heads off to Gethsemane and to his arrest. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.